0: I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are in a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit or brittle, but or it will not stay near you many are the sorrows of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the lord be glad in the lord and rejoice o righteous and shout for joy all your upright in heart
1: thank you lily So I don't know if you caught that, but at the center of Psalm 32, um, it's the second of our penitential psalms, these seven psalms of Lent that the church has historically used to help guide us into um, the fall with Jesus, into the depth of, of our own depravity, into the depth of the depravity of the world, into the depth of the need for Christ's death, and into the rise of life new and full in Him. At the heart of this psalm, a psalm meant to help us be with Jesus where he always is, the psalmist says, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. The psalmist encourages us to pray. To pray at the moment when, at the very moment when the presence of God will be most keenly felt and known and experienced. Ironically enough, the time for prayer, as the psalmist describes, is in the rush of great waters. The time for prayer is in the midst of trouble. The time for prayer is when we're surrounded with shouts of deliverance. But isn't that always the time to pray? At least to pray truly, right? A persuasive, passionate, bold addressing of the Holy One, and and not some mere discipline or incantation. That's when prayer becomes real, in the midst of great waters and trouble, surrounded with shouts of deliverance. At the extremes of pain, struggle, and the surprise of relief, that's when the time is ripe for vivid voices in God's presence. When, like the demon-possessed boys, Father in Mark 9, that we talked about last week, our hearts are open to the anguish and the hope of Jesus with us and for us. Remember what Jesus said, or what the scene in Mark 9? The man comes to Jesus in a place of desperation and praise. If you do nothing, have... If, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, If I can do anything, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father cried out with tears. His heart was rendered and exposed, and he prayed a true prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. That's the time when we honestly address God from where we are. When our hearts are opened in the middle of faith. Certainly we worship God, praising and praying from the places of equilibrium, from the places of security and and firm footing, when our hearts and lives are aligned with God's, as the psalmist encourages us to at the end. Remember what Lily said? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. There is an expectation that at some level we praise the Lord, offer praises to God from places of stability and secureness, When our lives, righteousness, when those who are walking rightly with God and others are in the same place that God is. However, if we're honest, the prayers that change us and others, the prayers in which we are actually changed, pour forth from the edges of life. From those times when we know in body and soul we are utterly dependent. Those moments at the extremes of pain and surprise. As one author says, it is experiences of being overwhelmed nearly destroyed, and surprisingly given life that empowers us to pray. And that's what we discover about prayer when we come to the Psalms. When we come to the Psalms, as God's people have for thousands of years, not just to quote words that we know are God's words, but to actually learn to pray. When we come to the Psalms, to actually learn how to pray. The Psalms, remember, Walter Brueggemann says, are the voice of our common humanity, gathered over a long period of time, but a voice that continues to have amazing authenticity and contemporaneity. It speaks about life the way it really is, in those deeply human dimensions, in this anguished, joyous human pilgrimage. So when we turn to these psalms, when we come to these psalms in Lent, the penitential psalms particularly, we add a voice to the common elation, the shared grief, and the communal rage that besets us all, that binds us together not just with us here in this room, but through all the saints throughout history. Praying the psalms, then, better learning to pray through praying the psalms, allows us to find ourselves in the psalms we are praying. It identifies our own experience of secure footing of pain and surprise, and also we find in praying the psalms that the others are there too. In this way, praying the psalms can cultivate prophetic, transformative empathy, truly aligning our heart with our fathers, not only for us, but also for others. As we mentioned last Sunday, Brugerman suggests the shared experience of our humanity that comes to speech in the Psalms, this thing that brings the voice of all humans throughout history together in the Psalms. If maybe a little bit oversimplified its schematic fashion is that our life of faith consists in moving of God with, with God in and out of being securely oriented, being painfully disoriented, and being surprisingly reoriented. Rueggemann, remember, says that this flow of orientation, this flow of being securely grounded, moving into disorientation, often painfully, or at least experienced as a discomfort at its least, and then reoriented, oftentimes in a surprising timing or way or means, actually gives us an honest way to describe how we relate to ourselves, how we actually engage with our own identity of who we are. That there are times in our lives where we feel really secure about who we are. There are times in our lives where we feel like we're not sure who we are at all. And times in our life where we feel invigorated into becoming something more than we thought we were or we were before. And the same can be true about the way we describe how we relate to our significant others, those closest to us and to know us most intimately. Times when we feel like our relationships are secure and completely oriented around something bigger than ourselves. Times when they feel fractured and disoriented in times, surprisingly, by God's grace, in which they feel re- regenerated and new again. It's a way to describe how we participate in our everyday roles and relationships and responsibilities within life, how we feel about our careers, our vocations, our jobs, where we find ourselves in community and friendships. It's a way to articulate life seasons, we could even say. We have seasons of life in which maybe no one particular thing seems off, but everything feels disoriented, or everything feels rejuvenated, or everything feels secure. It even helps us, in some sense, to identify moments of existential crisis. To say, right now I feel like I don't know, but I want more. But, as Brueggemann argues, most of all, this simplistic scheme, this flow and tangle of A, B, C, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, may provide us a way to think about the Psalms in relation to our common human experience in the way that we pray with and for one another. For each of God's children is in transit along this flow. Everyone here, everyone here today, and those not, all those who pray with us these psalms, and all those who do not pray are experiencing life and life with God somewhere in this flow of A, B, and C. Right now, every one of us, if we're honest and took stock of our lives, can identify where we are in this flow. That we're either in a place of orientation securely, painfully and disoriented, or surprisingly reoriented. And that's true of all those around us. All of those around us are entangled somewhere in A, B, and C orientation, disorientation, reorientation, security, pain, and surprise. And so when we pray the Psalms, we're learning to pray and learning to pray like psalmists. We come to the Psalms with this understanding of this shared human experience. And we take these scriptures that have been handed down to us for thousands of generations, and we bring that common to, uh, to humanity experience, yet uniquely us, lives, and we let the words we find in our psalms evoke in us, bring to mind images, memories, and feelings of our real experiences, and even, to some extent, the experiences we know, our friends and family, those closest to us, and even those most far from us are experiencing. And we give voice to what is breathed into our minds by the Spirit and felt in our hearts. That's what it means to pray the Psalms. Not just to know the Psalms, to know what they say. Not just to be trained by them in the memorization of them, but to actually pray them. To address them with persuasiveness and boldness before the Holy One. The Psalms attest that the experiences that take us to the edge of our living, the, ones, the events that help us feel our utter dependence most keenly, are often the ones that threaten and disrupt our convenient equilibrium. As much as we love to, to come to the Psalms and pray the Psalms it's from a securely oriented place, and maybe we do at times, the truth is, and the Psalms attest to this, right? If you, Brueggemann actually takes his idea of A, B, and C and he kind of categorizes the Psalms within the, these things Psalms of orientation, prayers of disorientation, prayers of reorientation, prayers that are mixed of the Psalms, some of the Psalms have both. B and C in them, some of them have A, B, and C in them, and all that kind of stuff. But what he notices is that very often, most of the prayers are not from the place of A, of secure orientation. There's praises, there's worship, but the deep, gut-churning prayers, the life-transforming prayers that compel into something more than what is currently being lived, are prayers from disorientation and reorientation that make up something like 90% of the Psalms. And it's these experiences of disorientation and reorientation that throw off our orientation, that throw us off of our secure footing, that we're constantly trying to maintain, that actually compel us into prayer, that actually move us into addressing God. Whether they be experiences with hints of surplus meaning. Think about it. Whether they be moments where a fortuitous or misfortunate run-in occurs. Something happens, and we wonder what's behind it, fortunately or misfortunately, and so we pray. Or maybe a series of unanticipated blessings fall upon us, or this whole cascade of unfortunate events. Or maybe an out-of-the-blue offer comes to us, or maybe an out-of-the-blue argument happens. Those things, those events, experiences in our lives that happen that make us want to know why. What's going on? takes us off of our equilibrium into, into either disorientation or surprise. Or maybe these experiences are the experiences that open our eyes to just the limits and preciousness of life. The experience of death and dying. Or even the sense of life's unquestionable surety. Those moments when we experience hate from those maybe we most love or maybe those that we've never seen. Or we experience sacrificial love. From those closest to us, or maybe even a stranger. Or maybe experiences of loss, or condemnation, or threat. Or maybe rescue, forgiveness, and safety. Experiences that help us recognize both the limit of life and its preciousness. Or maybe we can think of these experiences, these disorientating moments, reorientating moments, as peaks and valleys. Physical, emotional, relational catastrophes that compel us to pray, or physical, emotional, relational joys that lead us into a vision for life full and beyond. Such experiences, whether in the mundane or in the extraordinary, expose us to life as it really is, bringing to our attention the discontinuities in our lives where most of us live, on which we use most of our energies, about which we are most preoccupied. The Psalms, therefore, invite us to pray in the light that indeed our common experience is not one of equilibrium, but a churning, disruptive experience of disorientation and reorientation. That really we go through life less on this secure place, at least the way we think of it, and more in the middle of this churning of disorientation and reorientation, disorientation and reorientation, disorientation and reorientation. The Psalms help us to connect to the depths of our neediness, to those moments that go beyond our conventional means of coping, beyond our frail efforts of control, in these places of utter dependence. And though we'd prefer to avoid such feelings, if we're honest, praying through the Psalms helps us see and connect with the vulnerability in the unsettled places of daily life, whether it's our own vulnerability or the vulnerability of those around us. Whether indeed we feel like we're in an oriented place and yet the psalms lead us into praying in the disoriented churning of our friends and neighbors and family members. Praying the psalms requires a location of experiences in our own lives and in the lives of others. It requires us to identify ourselves in the psalms, find ourselves in those around us in the psalms. To pray and not merely repeat or study or memorize the psalms each of those things are, have value, certainly. I'm not saying don't, don't um, uh, repeat the psalms out of, out of habit or discipline. Don't study the psalms. Don't memorize the psalms. That's what I'm saying. But what we're trying to do in Lent is actually pray the psalms and be taught to pray in the psalms. And to do so, we must find ourselves and others in them. See ourselves in the images, memories, and feelings of the words and add our voice to the voices before and around us. That's what we're invited into. The Psalms, again says Brueggemann, are not used in a vacuum, but in history where we are falling and rising. A history in which Jesus is leading us into death to self, death to life on our own. Time is up. The kingdom of God is here. Life with God is all around us. And in history where God is at work bringing life, ending our lives and making gracious new beginnings for us. The Psalms move with our experience and move us into the heart of those experiences. They may also take us beyond our own guarded experience into more poignant pilgrimages of our sisters and brothers. That's what the Psalms can do. And by God's grace, over the next six weeks, that's what we'll see them do in our lives. But we'll only learn to pray this way if we come to the Psalms willing to address God from the edges of our life sensitive to the raw hurts of our hearts, of our egos, the raw hurts of our expectations and even our body, if we become, to the Psalms, sensitive to our base passions, which drive us and break us, and the simple delights that are at the bottom of our life. Or in other words, as Psalm 132 contends, if we come holding nothing back from Him, if we come to the Psalms holding nothing back from God, when we come to God in prayer, Unrestrained in our openness to Him, holding nothing back from Him, including our contribution to the broken way of living and relating to God and others, that is sin. That's when prayer is persuasive, passionate, bold, and transforms. We'll dig deeper into the ever consistent churning, this movement between disorientation and reorientation over the coming weeks. But before we can move any further along our Lenten journey, we have to take the steps that Psalm 32 leads us into the vulnerability of the source of our most consistent discontinuity in our life, our own sin. While we're learning to pray the Psalms with and for others, we can only do so if we pray them too, perhaps even first, for ourselves. As much as we love to pray for others, as much as we're compelled and pulled to pray for others, the truth is we have to pray them for ourselves too. For as much as the disorientation of life comes through things done to us, and it's true, we live in a world full of sin, right? Right? We live in a world that's surrounded in brokenness, even if it's not willful, even if it's not malicious, even if it's not trying to not be whole and full and well. We live in a world that doesn't always bring life, but takes it. And the truth is, though most of our disorientation feels like it comes from the outside, as Deidre read earlier for us, we are contributors to this disorientation, even as we are being reoriented. Remember what John said? If we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, He won't let us down. He'll be true to Himself. God will do what He said He was going to do. And one of the things that He said He was going to do, remember what John said? Is that we experience a shared life with one another because of the blood of Christ that covers us. if we want to be able to walk well, to be ones that the psalmist says at the end of Psalm 32, right, that are glad and rejoice because we're righteous, because we're in right relationship with God and others, whose hearts are aligned with Him, then we have to be ones who are willing to expose ourselves completely to the Lord, to hold nothing back, including our own shortcomings. And Psalm 132 won't let us go to where we are going without going through that perhaps obvious yet obviously difficult and avoided truth, that indeed we all do fall short of the aim of life with God and others, though such missing the mark in our relationship with God is about the surest way to keep from tripping over life completely. By being honest about it is about the only way that we keep from stumbling through it. Listen, secure orientation is where we all want to be, right? Right? Like, no one's denying that. This isn't, this isn't like some sort of like beat down of like, hey, we're, we, you just live in disorientation, so just be in disorientation. No, the, like, secure, we all want to be in secure orientation, a place where we can, as the psalmist encourages, those living well with God and others to do, to be glad in the Lord, rejoice, and shout for joy. But we can only be there when our hearts are upright, when they are, as, we, as I prayed for you earlier, cleansed. Of the Spirit. Or in the ABC language, reoriented, because we've honestly come before God, holding nothing back, and praying precisely from the place of true prayer, from the rush of great waters, in the trouble of life, surrounded by deliverance. So let's quickly look at Psalm 32 in a way that will help us get to where we want to be through praying from where we truly are. Here's what I'm going to do for us I'm going to ask Kyler. Because he's right here in front of me to pass these things out and we'll get to them but this will help us go through psalm 32 if you want you can turn with your bibles with me and your bibles to psalm 32 we'll kind of follow the script a little bit but then I'll, i'll direct you to your handout so one of the things about praying the psalms and not just coming to the psalms for memorization or for study is that when we're praying the psalms, in a way we, we get the opportunity not just to bring our own experiences into them, to help connect our experiences to what the words are invoking, but we're also encouraged to, to not necessarily just follow it line by line. I feel like we have to pray the whole psalm, but are encouraged actually throughout our, our Christian history to move into different parts of the psalm and out of different parts of the psalm. And so I just want to encourage you, as we're praying through these things, if you're praying through the psalms on a regular basis that there's a little bit of freedom when you're coming into the psalms to to pray through them, to be led to a particular portion and to immerse yourself in that. But you'll notice in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, that the psalm begins, as many of the psalms do, in a place that will undoubtedly be in the end. The psalmist begins the prayer from the place where the prayer actually ends, from what happens on the back end of things. And where does the psalmist pray from? He prays this, count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. You get a fresh start. This is the message translation that's on your printout. Your slates are wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you and you're holding nothing back from him. Or if you want it in the ESV, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. This is where we want to be, right? In a place where our life lines up with God's life that there's nothing hidden from God, nothing hidden from ourselves, that we're able to walk rightly and fully, to be lucky in a place of fresh start, of reorientation, of secure footing, because God holds nothing against us, and so we hold nothing back from Him. But we'll find that we only find ourselves there when we've gone through the middle places, the places in the middle, the disorientation of our sin and the reorientation of forgiveness. And it's the middle that I want us to enter into this afternoon, so here's where you get to pull out your pronounce. And again, you can reference back. But remember as we read the words of the psalm that the words that we're reading are meant to evoke. They're meant to bring to mind an image, a memory, a feeling of a real experience that you've had in your life. So be open to that as we go. If there's words that are said, if the words that come out of the page like prick something in you, pay attention to that because that's what they're meant to do. They're meant to bring an image a memory, a feeling of a real experience to mind. So what happens in the middle? How do we get, what happens before we get to the the end? Well, we walk through the reality of our own brokenness. Verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength dried up as by the heat of the summer. Listen, the feeling of disorientation comes from silence before God. When I kept silent, when I didn't come to you. Not non-prayer. I don't think that's what the psalmist is saying here. It's not that I didn't pray, but a lack of vulnerability before God and with others is a source of feeling unsure. The lack of vulnerability before God is the source of being insecure, of being, feeling out of control. Not opening to God about your own sin makes it feel like God is against you and that life is draining. Can you remember a time when life felt that way? Does life feel that way right now? Does it feel like God is against you? A heavy hand upon you that you can't get out of underneath him? Does it feel like your energy is vexed, like dried up by the 120-degree days of the Texas summer, right? I mean, that's what the psalmist is saying. And why do you feel that way? Because you're quiet before the Lord. Because you weren't open before Him. But here's the thing. If we're attentive, that is, if we're not distracted, we'll hear God even in the midst of our disorientation. So skip ahead a couple verses to verse 9. Verse 9 is God speaking. At least... The, the acclamation of God's voice, the proclamation of God's voice in the midst of this prayer. And what does the psalmist say that God is saying? It says, be not like a horse or a mule. <laughs> you don't, don't be like a stubborn animal. Um, in kind words. Don't be like a stubborn animal without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, which must be, which must be subdued and pulled along in order just to stay near you. It has to be drugged through life. Listen, even in a place of disorientation, we can hear God saying, sometimes shouting, sometimes whispering, stop being stubborn. Stop being drugged along through your life by the things of life. All that so you can be near me. Stop being, being one who I keep having to drag you into places just to be close to me. Can you remember a time when you felt the Spirit saying something similar? Maybe it was something like what God said to to Cain um, before, before he murdered his brother. Sin is crouching at your door. It's right there. It wants to consume you. Don't do this. Don't act a fool. Don't be stubborn. Don't follow your own way. Just turn around. Go a different direction. Even in the midst of our disorientation, we can still hear the Lord's voice, which is pretty incredible if we're not distracted, if we're willing to listen. But disorientation is not the only place of prayer. So too is reorientation. When the surprise of forgiveness and grace delivers us from all that we feel, in those moments we pray, don't we? So jump back to verse 5. If a disoriented experience comes from lack of exposure to God, where does a reorienting experience come from? Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I acknowledge it to you. I just say that I'm a sinner and I'm broken before you, that I fail, that I do not live up to the standard, that I, I hurt others, that I don't live rightly with you, that I cause harm in my most intimate relationships, that I cause harm in the way that I, that I live my life, that there's something in me that it misses the mark of what you have in flourishing for, towards myself or towards those around me. I simply acknowledge that truth and I don't cover it up I don't try to hide my iniquity. I don't try to hide under pride or shame or fear. All things that are normal, right? All the reasons why we don't come before the Lord. All the things that would keep us from being exposed. Because we don't think we're sinners. Or we think it's always somebody else's fault, right? But also sometimes because we know how broken we are and we're just feeling shameful for it, right? We don't want to, to talk about it because we don't like it. Right, Or maybe we're fearful because we're, we, we, we think that in the exposure, if people knew who we really were and how we really are, they would reject us. and Maybe even God would too. But, says the psalmist, I acknowledge my sin to you. I don't cover it up. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I let myself be seen and known. And what did I experience? forgiveness. Reorientation begins in vulnerability to our neediness. Your need for God to cover, not for you to cover up, but for God to cover, forgive, and overcome your intentional and unintentional shortcomings, your sins of commission and sins of omission, and the surprising grace that He actually does. This is where reorientation begins, new life begins, something that moves us beyond The moment in which we're experiencing, who we are in this moment, where we want to be in this moment, takes us into what's coming next. Can you remember a time when you felt this way? When you felt, because you were open and honest before God and God truly knew you and you tried to hide nothing back from God, you experienced the overwhelming sense of grace and forgiveness. Does that Feel that way right now? Again, if we're attentive, not distracted, we'll hear God in our reorientation, calling us into something different than before. So again, jump ahead to verse 8. What the psalmist says we hear in the midst of our reorientation. We hear God saying, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Not pull you along by bit and bridle, not drag you through life, but instructs you, teach you, show you the way to go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. We hear God saying that he wants us to live more and more into life with him. That God is inviting us to hear his voice and to hear it clearly. That he wants to guide us, walk with us wherever we find our lives at that moment. Can you remember a time when you felt the Spirit saying something similar? Not that God wanted to take you out of your place, but wanted to walk with you in the midst of it. Do you hear that now? Listen, in just a moment, we're going to have a few minutes of quiet that we get to sit and actually pray these things together. So what I want to do in just a second is... I want to let you have about five to seven minutes of quiet to let the Spirit lead you through your experience to where your heart is. So in the things we just read, whether it be disorientation or reorientation, let the Spirit lead you into one of those two. And as you're led into it, as an image or memory or feeling of an experience comes to mind, then pray. Address God with passion and boldness. From the pain of disorientation or the surprise of reorientation. Again, as we talked about last week, the psalms—the psalms are religious only in the religious idea that they talk to God. They are not—they are not written in a way that—that um, that is super precise. They're not written in a way that has a lot of of of, of, of really fluffy language, like a really like um, 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 churchy language. We've made them churchy over the years, but in the actual language, they're actually just this really raw, passionate expression to God. But they're to God, so do that. Pray from your experience until you're ready to join your sisters and brothers, your spouse and neighbor, the sinners and the saints, like the Father in Mark 9, from praying from where you truly are, where you can truly pray between belief and unbelief in the middle of faith. When you get to that point where you're really when you're ready to pray, not just to give your, 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 um, your pain to the Lord or your, or your surprise to the Lord, but are ready to join in the middle of faith, then pray verse 10. Pray verse 10. This is the prayer in the middle of our faith. It's like the prayer between belief and unbelief. It's an acknowledgement that many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. You know what's true, that in the middle of life, just like the the Father, there are moments when the sorrows surround you because your heart is broken and sinful and wicked. And there's also this steadfast love that is always around us because we trust in the Lord. And this is where you find yourself, in the middle. After you pray Psalm 10, come up and receive your communion cups. Again, this is something new for us in Lent that we're doing this year. But come and receive the communion elements. You will go back to, your, um, back to your seat, and then you can pray this prayer. And receive communion between you and the Lord, with you and the Lord. Remember, when you hear Chaz start playing, that's kind of your cue. If you haven't done so already, come and grab your communion elements. Make sense? So let's do this. Let me pray for us. And I want to give us, again, about five to seven minutes for us to just to learn to pray through Psalm 32. Father, we thank you. We thank you that that you are one who we do not have to hide from. In fact, Father, Lord, we thank you that the hiding from you always creates tension. won't let us settle. It always settles us so that we might be resettled in the life that you have for us. So I just pray for my friends and family here today, Father, Lord, who find themselves somewhere in the middle of faith. Life is disoriented or in the middle of reorientation or somewhere between. Lead us, Spirit, to what you would have us pray, to where you would have us pray from. And may we speak directly to you, all because of the grace of Jesus. I thank you that his life draws us to life in you. May we accept his invitation and come before you now. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. I'll let you use the guides to just kind of help you pray through Psalm 32, and then, like I said, in a few moments, we'll receive communion and uh, continue to worship.